tiny explanation here that um, the reason that we're not, that we canceled the uh, community service, it was scheduled to be at a church where the pastor and about 10 other members just got COVID. So uh, we decided not to bring everybody into that church and the plans were already made and everything. So we just, we just went ahead and canceled it. <clears throat> but if at that church that's, and at that service every year, that's where we bring coats and blankets and for the community, for those who are needy in the community. And so if you still want to bring stuff here and we often, and we t we'll take a off, an offering here also and give it to the Ministerial Alliance as it goes to the Hands of Grace warehouse that feeds people uh, regularly and ministers to people that, that are really needy. So I just want to mention that. Also, we want to welcome Kelly and Alyssa back there who uh, are here. They're with Destiny Rescue. <clears throat> And they've been over here because of COVID, right? Is it, you had to wait over here longer? Yeah, so anyway, good to see you guys. <laughs> now, I imagine, if we can get this going here. Yeah, thank you. I imagine that many of you have either read the book or seen the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, kind of a classic from way back. And if you know much about it, the main character, Edmond Dantes, he's falsely charged with treason. You know, he's from France. He's falsely charged with treason. <laughs> treason. <laughs> Thrown in prison without a trial. And the man who set him up to be falsely charged happened to be his best friend. What a best friend, right? And he did so, this best friend did this because he wanted to marry the person that Edmund was going to marry. He wanted to marry his, Edmund's fiance. So he had him falsely charged, thrown into prison without a trial. <clears throat> he had the help of a crew member of Edmond Dantes who was jealous of him, and then this um, double-dealing government official that he was able to get to help them. So Dantes, who is completely innocent in this story, is in this miserable prison in France around the time of Napoleon, back in those days, while his traitorous best friend steals and marries his fiancée. And you think, what could be worse than that? To be betrayed by your best friend for the woman that you're going to marry, and now you're sitting in jail for something you didn't do. But Dantes, in the story, eventually escapes the prison, and then he carefully plots out this plan to have all three men killed that, you know, did this trick to him. <clears throat> now, you know, if you're reading this book or watching this movie your heart really goes out to Dantes. You want him to get these people. You want his plan to succeed. You want everything that he's planning, <clears throat> and he, he does this intricate planning in three different places for these three different men over some years. 
And of course, the major theme of that movie, or, or may, one of the major themes, is revenge. And you're hoping there that those guys will have to pay, you know, because what they did was so evil and so wrong. And, <clears throat> and your heart is going out that they will have to pay for this, even if it means their deaths. At least a lot of people probably want to see them pay. Or at least I wanted to see them pay, even if no one else does. But that's the way your heart is taken. So what about this human desire to see people being punished for their wrongs? What about that yearning inside to see someone get theirs after having hurt someone else? Is that a good thing? You know, to desire to see someone else's downfall? You know, a lot of movies and TV shows are just wrapped around the story of revenge. And is it a good thing to cheer someone else's destruction even if they are engaging in lawlessness and harm? Well, you know, you may, you may think, well, that could be an element of yearning for righteousness. You know, the Bible says, you know, Jesus talks about those who yearn for righteousness, who pray for righteousness. And that would seem to be a good thing. But then again, I think, <clears throat> how anxious might we be that we ourselves always get punished for everything wrong we do? Probably not too often, are we? Desiring so much that we get punished for everything we do wrong. So how do you weigh all of this out? You know, a desire to see people pay for their crimes, to pay for their wrong, at the same time, hoping we don't have to pay for all of our wrong. Well, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with this subject. And on the Sermon of the Mount, <clears throat> As we've been going through it and say, and I've said before, it's like Jesus sitting down, and he's the king, and he's presenting himself as the king, ultimately, to the nation of Israel, and we know that they rejected him, ultimately, and he's going to be coming back as the king, but at this time, he's sitting down as the king, he's on this mountainside, and these people are all sitting before him as his subjects, in a sense, and he's talking to them about the kingdom of heaven and the values and the principles of the kingdom of heaven and how they're so different than the values and principles of the kingdoms of the earth. Even in Jerusalem, even in uh, Judea and, and Israel, the land of Israel, they're supposed to be God's people. Their values have switched strongly away from the kingdom values of heaven. So now, <clears throat> I want to look at chapter 5 of Matthew and look at Jesus as he talks about this subject. And we'll start with verse 38. He says, You have heard that it was said, and he starts out several subjects with this. Says, this is what you've heard. This is what you've been taught. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
course, he's referring back to the Mosaic Law. And what he's referring to is the Mosaic Law's principle for punishing an offender. You know, if someone physically harms someone and that person is in the wrong, then their punishment should be in accordance with their crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone attacks someone and causes them to lose an eye, that offender, if he's in the wrong, he must also lose an eye. It was a way of punishing people for their crime in a measured way, in a measured uh, sense. And it served as a warning to others that they just can't go around and maim people or hurt people without paying for it. And then it also stopped from over-punishing people, like, you know, the death penalty for knocking out somebody's tooth or something like that. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So Jesus begins by stating what they've all been taught in the law by their teachers. But we know that in the land of Israel, with the religious teachers that they had, <clears throat> often they would take the law and make it into something just for their own purposes. So now let's look and see what Jesus says that fits better for the kingdom of heaven values. Look at verses 39 through 41. Well, here he says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Wow. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. <clears throat> that seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? First of all, don't resist an evil person. That sounds like you're just going to, when somebody comes up and they have these wrong intentions, or they're going to do something bad to you, you just step back and let them do it. No fight or any resistance. Whatever the evil person wants, give it to them. Give them more than that. But what if they're beating you with an iron rod? You just roll over and give them the other side? What if they're demanding your wife or child in order to abuse them? Should we not resist evil and instead, hey, there's another child in the back closet here. Well, that word for evil, evil person, it has a range of meanings. And it can go from somebody that just has bad intentions or selfish person to someone that's just kind of a worthless character, all the way to someone who's vicious or diabolically evil. And you know, whenever you have a word that has a range of meanings, which happens a lot, you look to the context, right? To see what the context is pointing you toward. So, <clears throat> he says, and here's what he gives. He gives three examples. Don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, 
turn to them the other cheek also. So he's talking about someone slapping you on the right cheek. He's talking about someone who wants your shirt, who's going to sue you for your shirt. Give them your coat also. And someone forcing you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, slapping someone on the cheek is a gesture of disrespect or insult. It's like, bam. It's like maybe spitting in their face. It was just, I mean, it probably stung, but it was a gesture of, you know, demeaning somebody, insulting them. And so it, it, was, it was an offense, but it wasn't like somebody just rearing back and knocking you out with a punch. Maybe like somebody calling you an infidel or a thief. So Jesus says, turn to them the other cheek. Now, who wants to allow someone else to give them a slap in the face out of disgust and not retaliate for that? Well, Jesus says, not only do you not retaliate, you turn the other cheek. Give them a chance to do it the other, to the other cheek. What advice that is, huh? And then we have someone suing you for your shirt. Maybe they're falsely claiming that you took their shirt, that it was their shirt from the beginning, but it says it's an evil person, so we're assuming that they're not right, they're doing something wrong. And so you want to say to that person, forget it. Go jump in the lake, it's my shirt. Jesus says, give him your shirt, and give him your coat also. And you're thinking, wait a minute. He shouldn't even have the shirt. And you want me to give him my coat? Won't this just encourage him to bully others? So, so far, not so good, right? It's not coming out like we'd like it. Well, then we have someone forcing you to go a mile. And what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> a Roman soldier could take a, just a civilian that they see and they could make them carry their equipment, maybe some of their armor or weapon or something like that. But this law said they could only make them go one mile. Then after that, the person doesn't have to carry it any further. And you can imagine a soldier who's walking a long ways, wants a little break, just calls somebody over, but, you know, if you're there and you're a Jewish person there in the land or just, just another person and you're on your way home from work and they grab you and tell you to walk a mile with them, that's already, like, way out of your way. That's already something you really don't want to do. And so they tell you the, to, you know, carry their luggage or lug their sword for a mile or whatever. And we would think, why do they have the right to do that? But Jesus says, then volunteer to go another mile with them. So Jesus is saying, when somebody is doing something wrong to you, instead of looking at all of your options, 
of how you can get out of it or how you can get them back or punish them for doing something wrong. It's like if somebody slaps you in the face or how you can make them pay for slapping you in the face when they shouldn't have. You know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Instead, Jesus is saying, volunteer to do even more than what they are asking you to do or demanding that you do. Now, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? And not only does it not sound very fun, it doesn't even sound right. Should they not have to face up to their wrong? He says it's an evil person, a bad person. Should they allow to be just, just walk free from their crime? Won't my turning the other cheek only encourage them to go out and do it to other people? Am I causing other people hurt by not standing up to them? and rewarding them for their first offense? Well, <clears throat> what Jesus is doing is that he's taking his followers into a whole new realm of thinking. And he's kind of jolting them there. And he does this in the Gospels at times through what we call hyperbole or you know, using extremes. He's going way past normal to make a point in order to bring us into a whole new realm of thinking through things. It's kind of like, you know, if you're used to living in the country and you have a way of doing things and then you go to the city, maybe there's a whole different way of doing things. Or you go to another country, a whole different way. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking them into another country. And he's, talk, he's talking to his followers about how to respond to people that wrong you, who want to take advantage of you, who may even be lying or dishonest or maybe spreading false rumors about you. And it really burns us. And our natural reaction is to strike back, isn't it? Our natural reaction is to give that person a piece of our minds. To check with our lawyer how much can we do without going to jail. And not only do we not want to allow them to take advantage of us, but we want to make certain that they never even try that again. They don't want to even think of it. We want to make them pay. And we want to spread it around and warn everybody else about them. Now, I don't think this passage is saying there is never a time that we shouldn't protect ourselves from predators or stop somebody from doing evil. I don't believe it's saying we should allow someone to enter our home and take everything they can find and then just offer them our children, too. I believe Jesus is through this hyperbole kind of an an extreme example, turning the other cheek, offering our coat also, and going the extra mile, I believe he is taking us into a whole new realm where we just 
get rid of this idea of retaliation where we cleanse ourselves from thinking vengeful, vengefulness. Where we come away from this, this human tendency to want revenge. And it doesn't mean that we just give over and, and jump into lawlessness. But he wants us to be people that don't automatically turn to revenge not always happen to get even. The thought that we have to punish every person who gets the best of us. Or always be so worried that someone might have used us in some way. And when we find out, we're so angry. And it really triggers us. And we really want to go after them. See, I believe Jesus is trying to help us cleanse our hearts from this kind of thinking. To remove the attitude <clears throat> of thinking that we have to strike back or make that person pay for whatever they did to us or else we look bad. Our fallen nature leads us to want to pay people back for any wrong they do to us. How dare they cut us off in traffic? Who do they think I am? How dare that person make fun of me in front of my friends? How dare that person go back on his word to me? Why do you question me? Why do you question what I say to you? Oh, so you're not going to help me? Wait until you need something from me. We're going to teach them a lesson, aren't we? And in that sense, we stand above them as morally superior. A lot of that type of thinking, that vengeful thinking, really comes from self-pride, doesn't it? You know, we always feel righteous in doing it because the person did wrong. But we get so angry because of self-pride. It's like we have such an exalted view of ourselves that it would be wrong for us not to do something back. It'd be wrong for us to let something slide. And we'd never think of forgiveness, would we? How could they do that to me? I'd be wrong to let them get away with that. I believe there are two very helpful principles when dealing with people who wrong us or who want to take advantage of us. <clears throat> I think the first one is humility. And humility in the Bible is having an accurate view of ourselves, not having a false view of ourselves that we're more than we should be. Having an honest view of ourselves, who we are. And you know, on one hand, we are very precious to God, so we are special. He loves us, and he sent his son to die in our place so that we could live with him forever. But the other side of that coin is that we should not have an overinflated view of ourselves because other people are special too. And the Apostle Paul says 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. That means when you deal with people, treat them as if they have a higher rank than you do. It's just a way of being kind and, serve, and being a servant. Not only looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I believe that if we have a proper sense of humility, we will not be near as quick to become vengeful. We will have a much more reasonable attitude toward others if we have a proper view of ourselves. And I believe the other principle in this matter, dealing with people who wrong us, is our trust in God to make all things right. God has promised us that he will right all things. Some of that happens now. Much of it will happen in the end when he comes back, when Jesus comes back. But he tells us that vengeance belongs to him. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If we can give our circumstances over to God, if we can truly trust him with our lives, placing our faith in him and what he's going to do and what he has told us he will do, even when we want to strike back so badly, then God will help heal our hearts. And he will help us to become more humble and less vengeful. It's time in his word with the Holy Spirit taking his word and changing our hearts and our attitudes. And it's time in prayer with the Lord, becoming closer friends with God. Most of you probably remember the 2015 murders of nine people that were in a Bible study in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And Dylan Roof came into that church service, that Bible study, and they, they uh, welcomed him. You know, it was nine, it was a black church. <clears throat> and he was a white guy, came in, and they welcomed him so uh, generously. And he sat there during the prayer time. And then at one point, he stood up, took his gun, and shot. Nine people dead. Right there, just imagine sitting in a circle. Killing nine, injuring one. And at Dylan Roof's hearing, several related to the slain, to the nine slain, spouses, relatives, close friends, they got up and spoke of their grief. But then they said that they forgave Dylan. And it was because of their Christian faith. They said that's what God had told them to do, that they were forgiven and they were supposed to forgive. <clears throat> See, to me, that is true humility 
and true faith in Christ that he will make all things right. And they give it over to him. And don't feel like I have to make all things right. Romans chapter 12, 17 through 22 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God's got it all under control. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Give to the one... Well, here's our last verse of our Matthew passage. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, the people at... Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. They overcame evil with good. And their testimony went out probably to the whole world. So, Jesus says, give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's saying that this should be our basic mindset. He wants us to come out of the natural way of thinking as fallen human beings by telling us to allow someone to slap the other cheek, to give them the coat when they want our shirt, and to go the second mile. Lifting us out of a whole other realm of thinking and reacting to a higher level. It's the way of humility. It's the way of trusting God that he will make all things right. And it's to know that our job is to forgive and show kindness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that it is so rich and it gives us what we need for this life and the life to come. And it tells us things that we would never come up with on our own. So, Father, we pray that you would take your word and apply it, bring it into our hearts in very meaningful ways. Help us to understand it even deeper. and Let us walk with you and encourage others to come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.